Well, if you've got your Bibles um, on your phone or in your hands, uh, please join in praying with us, I mean in reading uh, God's Word. I normally start off with prayer, but I'll, I'll do that first, seeing that I'm going to do the reading. So let's just pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we've been singing your praises and you are worthy of our praise and our worship. We thank you that you sent your son to be our saviour and he is Lord and risen from the dead. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. We worship you and bless you and pray that as we look into your word and read it and consider it together that your spirit will make alive the pages of scripture and, and cause us to Respond in faith and obedience. We ask for your help and your blessing, your anointing. By your spirit, we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So let's turn in Matthew's gospel to uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. And when you pray, Jesus is speaking, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And over to chapter 7, and we'll begin reading uh, in verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The Lord's Prayer, it's called, but we're calling it the Disciples' Prayer. Uh, it's always been known as the Lord's Prayer in Christian faith down through the centuries, but the Lord could never pray this prayer. Forgive us our sins? No, he couldn't pray that. And he says at the beginning of the prayer, he says, pray then like this. This is a pattern. This is a guide for your prayers. There was a young child who, um, uh, it was time for bed and, and normal thing was to pray before they go to sleep. So the little child looked up to his, her, whatever, mum, and said, uh, can we pray to Harold? And mum said, what? 
Can we pray to Harold? No, we pray to God, not to Harold. But God is Harold. You know, we pray. Our Father who does art in heaven, Harold is, is, the, is thy name. When we look at the Lord's Prayer, we come to a, an amazing guide to prayer, which, when we break it all down, teaches us a lot about it. And in the context, it, it actually was that the disciples had come to Jesus, and the only time they asked him to teach them anything was, Lord, teach us to pray. That's the only time it's recorded that they asked him to teach them something. They had obviously observed the Lord in his own prayers because he prayed often. He got up early in the morning and went out before it was light and he prayed to his Father in heaven. Prayer was a priority with the Lord Jesus Christ as he depended on his Father and lived his life with an open road ahead of him and an open heaven above him. Prayer. And they got it. They got the message. Prayer is important. Not just the rabbinical sort of prayers that they pray by rote, but genuine relationship prayer he did with his father. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus said, don't pray like the hypocrites. Uh, they, uh, they have their set times and they have these long prayers that they have memorized. And if they're on the street corner uh, and it's time to pray, they'll stop. Even if they're in the middle of the road, they'll stop and they'll pray out loud. And people will say, man, isn't that person so spiritual, so committed to God? And they did it, he says, because they wanted that applause from those around. He said, don't pray like that and don't pray like the heathen who think they've got leverage over their gods because of repeating their prayers again and again. Um, I was in um, Nepal with a team. Uh, we had been doing outreach and mission work in India, and we went up to Nepal before we flew home. And uh, there they have these prayer things, wheels things that they whiz around. And, and according to them, every time it whizzes around, it prays the prayer to their gods or whatever. And so they were whizzing these things around each time as a prayer, as if that's going to impress the God of the universe. No. Um, and he says, don't pray like that. Um, and he says in verse 8, don't um, pray to inform God or convince or motivate God. He knows what you need before you ask him. And then he says, uh, he shows that it's not a liturgical prayer. This is not a prayer to memorize and pray by rote, even though uh, we all know it. In fact, it's probably the most well-known prayer in the whole world because uh, it's often repeated in churches and, and by people. It wasn't given for that reason. There's nothing wrong with doing that if you want to, but that wasn't the reason it was given. He said, pray in this manner. This is a guide. This is a pattern. This is something to learn uh, so that you can pray the way you should pray when you approach your Father in heaven. So as we look at this prayer, I'm only going to deal with the first four words. Our Father in heaven today. And then next week we'll pick up from there. Our Father in heaven. We are to pray in light of, first of all, relationship. We're to pray in light of relationship. 
Uh, and then we'll look at fellowship and lordship. So let's look at relationship. It says, or Jesus says, to pray our Father. Father. God has a Father's heart. And his relationship, uh, not just with us, but with the world, with the universe, he has a Father's heart. He was His relationship, if you like, with creation. Let me say it this way. Uh, in Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 15, we read, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in earth and in heaven and on earth derives its name. In other words, the original prototype of fatherhood is God and every paternal relationship is modeled on his perfect uh, revelation of being a father. He is the father. And uh, we, are, we look at that and we, we, we're used to that. I mean, we pray our father and we've read Jesus many times calling his, his father, father. But for that time... There in, in Israel, among the Jewish people, to call God Father was absolutely revolutionary. In Judaism, uh, it was God is too holy and too awesome for us to use his name. They used the word Adonai, Lord and ruler, it means. Or they used El Shaddai, the mighty one. They would never call God Father. In fact, uh, Jesus, um, in John chapter 5, called God his father in, in, in his conversation with the people, and they wanted to kill him, it says, because he called God his father. They sought to kill him. Their normal way of approaching God in prayer was, is, is, and probably still is today, blessed art thou, Lord God, ruler of the universe. Wes shared a verse with us earlier when we were praying together uh, from Zephaniah where it says that the Lord, the, the Lord God um, Almighty uh, uh, rejoices over us with singing. And that, that's the normal way that they thought in the Old Testament. That God is, and he is, the Lord God Almighty, the mighty, wonderful, e eternal Creator God that he is. But Jesus said, no, when you approach God, you're to approach him as our Father, our Father in heaven. In fact, the Jews used to, and still do, use the word the name instead of actually speaking the name of God. And they actually removed the vowels from the name of God so that it ended up Yahweh, W-H, uh, Y-H-W-H. And, and uh, no one knows what the vowels were and how to pronounce it to, in order to stop people using the name of God because for them it was, it was uh, absolutely uh, not done. So uh, we have uh, Jesus here and he spoke in Aramaic. Uh, and the word that was used, which is common among the people for father, was Abba. And father and mother was Abba and Ima. And so uh, a child would run down the road and see daddy and would call out, Abba, Abba, daddy, daddy. It was a normal relationship term of a child with the father, with their father. 
And so even in the garden, when Jesus was facing the cross in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Abba, Father, uh, he called his, his uh, father, Abba, Father, um, if it be possible, let this cup be par- uh, passed from me. So it emphasizes the relationship of, yes, of Jesus with his father, but now as God's children, we have with God as our father. Now, I've got grandchildren, and many of you do too, or you will have. And my grandchildren started calling me Pops. You see the number plate on my car is Pops. Um, So now lots of people call me Pops, and I don't mind if you call me Pops. But if my grandchildren came up to me and said, Oh, most esteemed Reverend Pastor Glasgow, I would look at them sideways and say, what's going on here? Now, I'm, I'm not Reverend esteemed. I'm, I'm Pastor, yes, but that's about it. Um, but you know what I'm saying? That, that even though um, you know, a person might say that, for the children, the grandchildren, to come to me and say that is just not on because I have a relationship with them. They are my grandchildren, and we are the children of God. He's our father. There was a parade. You know, the emperors in in Rome uh, used to parade through the city when when they had won some great victory in the war that they had. And as they paraded through, the emperor was on his uh, in his great chariot and and uh, travelling through, and all the people were. Uh, waving and clapping and, and cheering and so on. And they came up to the uh, rostrum where uh, the emperor's wife and little boy were. And the little boy broke free from his mother, ran down and r- went to go up to the chariot. And one of the uh, legionnaires who was protecting and watching over uh, the whole parade uh, stopped him and said, don't you realize who's in that chariot? He's the emperor. Didn't realize, of course, that this was the emperor's son. And the uh, little boy said, well, he may be your emperor, but he's my daddy. So not only is is, uh, God in very nature a father, but he's also the model father. And I'm very aware that there are people who have had in their experience of their father either an abusive or a person who has not really been a model father or has been absent or not even existent. There's no father to talk about. And so there are mixed feelings when we come to talking about fatherhood and God being our father. But because of the sinful nature of humans, that's what happens. But for God, he is the model. He is absolutely everything that a father should be. Uh, God is not a father who rules by fear, who rules by threat or by guilt. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. He's just. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's loving, affectionate, generous, patient. Everything a father should be. And by the way, God is not everyone's father. In a sense, he is the father of all the human race because he 
started it by his power and creation. But we're talking here about a relationship with the Father. Sin broke that relationship from Adam right through to us today. And it's only when we have that sin removed and our and forgiveness through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we come into a living personal relationship with God who we then call our Father to all who received him, Jesus Christ, who believed in his name, they, he gave the right to become what? Children or sons of God. And so that is the uh, truth of it that you enter into through Christ a relationship with God. As Father. So we need to pray, and as we pray, it's an indicator of our relationship with God. If you pray in a hurried way and bring your list to God, and that's about it for your prayer life, what kind of relationship is that? Do you enter into that sense of relationship with God as your Father? When you pray, do I? It's a challenge. Is your relationship with God a static relationship? Yeah, he's your father and you're a child of God, but that's about it. Or is it a dynamic relationship where you walk with him, where you talk with him as your father? So we are to pray to him, pray to our father. And, and, and it says in verse 6 that as a father, he sees. He sees us in our situation, whatever it might be. Even when we're in secret and we don't tell anyone else we're praying about something, he sees, he knows he knows what you need before you ask him. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 32, Jesus tells us not to be anxious about food and drink and clothing because, quote, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Mark and Cat, the Lord, the Father in heaven, knows that you need a place to rent. And we're praying. And sometimes... And often, actually, the Lord comes through the 11th hour. He knows. But he still calls us to pray, make our needs known. He knows, but he wants us to engage with him, to be a child with a father and say, Daddy, I, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but that's the word that Jesus used. And we're told in, in Galatians that because the Spirit has been sent into our hearts, we cry out, Abba, Father. We have that relationship with God as our father, intimate relationship. And so he calls us to know that he, as a father, knows what our, our needs are. And thirdly, in, in chapter 7, verse 11, he cares. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You don't have to worry about God's answer to your prayer. It might be different to what you think it might be, but he cares. He always listens. He always cares. He treats us not from a father's perspective, not as a judge. He's not hesitant. He does not hold against us our failures. 
He's a God of grace. And even when we mess up, we come back to God in prayer. He's there listening. He's our Father. Psalm 103. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on all those who fear him. For he knows how we are framed, formed, and he remembers that we are dust. So that's the first thing we learn about prayer from Jesus, is that we are to approach God as our father. Pray in the light of the fact that he is our father and we are his children. The second thing we learn is fellowship. Because it says to pray, or Jesus says to pray, our Father. Now, just prior to that, he said, when you pray, go into your secret little room. Uh, A closet is really not the right word. It's a small room, a private room. Enter into that little private room all by yourself with God in secret. And when you pray alone with God, you're to pray, not my Father, but our Father. Hey, that says something, doesn't it? As I approach God in prayer, I pray as part of a family. It's not just my needs. It's my brother and sister sitting along the road from me, in front of me, behind me, or watching on TV, who are part of the family of God. Our Father. There's no personal pronouns in the singular in this prayer. It's our Father, give us this day. Not give me this day, my daily bread. Give us. Forgive us. Oh, please forgive me, Lord. But hey, forgive my brother and sister when they mess up too. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's a prayer that says a lot about fellowship. Our identity is a family. We are a family of believers. That's exactly what we are. And let's take it away from the, uh, like the, the whole church international. Um, the body of Christ is every believer in every country and every denomination, every church and so on. But let's bring it down to this church because this is a local body of Christ. We are. And as a local body of Christ, it's God's desire that we would pray as such. Our culture places so much emphasis on and value on being independent. But that's not God's plan. It's not God's plan that Christians should be in isolation. It's God's plan. The whole idea of the New Testament is to built around the body of Christ, the church coming together, being together, fellowshipping, praying with one another, praying for one another, sharing with one another. There's 59 times in the New Testament one another is used. Love one another, serve one another. Forgive one another. Give to one another. There's 59. I mean, that is what it's all about. Church life is relationship, fellowship. So our identity, you know, 
um, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to one of the elders or someone and I was saying, you know, our church. And in my mind I thought, hey, it's the first time I've used the word our when relating to this church because I'm sort of guest here to come and, and help the church in this transition and moving forward. And uh, I'm here for, a, and I, I don't, this is the first time I've had a decent number of people in the church and even so, there's still a lot who can't come because they're not vaccinated and so on. Anyway, let's get away from that subject. Um, hey, I said our, and, and I found it hard to say our because I don't even know you. I'm getting to know you, but the more I get to know you, the more I can identify with you and then use the word our, and I'm part of it. I belong. Even if it's temporary, I belong. Hopefully after this afternoon, I'm doing You see, the whole idea of this church is relationship with Christ, with God, and with one another. And it's vital that we prioritize that in our minds. It's easy to get up in the morning because we've gotten used to it with the lockdown and so on and keep our dressing going on and go to church. Um, but, you know, and I know you can't help it and, and there's people today who would love to be here but they can't. But once that all goes, don't forsake, as the Bible says in Hebrews, the, the meeting of yourselves together, as the custom of some is. Don't neglect the important, the value of fellowship. Our Father in heaven. Not only our identity as family, but our perspective as family. In other words, as we pray to the Lord and we say, Our Father in heaven, we are incorporating others in our prayer. And so we pray with not just our own needs, but the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, some say, I'm a Christian, I don't need church. Oh, yeah? You're a soldier and you don't need an army. You're a footy player and you don't need a team. Imagine playing footy by yourself. Relationship with the father leads to relationship with all of his children. You know, we talk about God being our father and having a relationship with God. But let me say that in reality, that is experienced by us through our commitment and our involvement with the church, with the fellowship of, of God's people. Like Paul said, uh, that uh, God comforts us with the comfort and, and we're to comfort others with the comfort with which we are comforted. In other words, uh, our experience of God's comfort is to be then shared with others and we're to comfort them. Uh, we experience God's uh, special presence and help and, and, and uh, peace and joy and so on. And then we share that with others so that his, re the reality of his like comfort in that passage in 2 Corinthians, uh, his comfort is experienced through your brothers and sisters when they comfort you. When our Kim died uh, earlier this year and the, our church back at 
in, 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 um, in, Havel in, in Havelock North, listen to me, <laughs> that's years ago in New Zealand, but anyway, um, in, um, in Kilsai South, you know, the, the love and the comfort and the encouragement of God's people was just so special. It was like they were with us through that journey. They loved us through that. They cared for us through that. We experienced God's comfort through God's people. That's what fellowship is. And so when we pray, we pray for others as well as ourselves. And I was really convicted about this years ago. It must have been 30 or so years ago when we lived in New Zealand. And our daughter was um, just a young girl, early teenage years, or both of our daughters were. But um, I prayed for, obviously, both of those daughters. And, and, and as I prayed, and I, I had been studying this passage, I realized that I'm to pray for others in the fellowship. And so I thought, well, who's somebody who's like my daughter, one of my daughters that I was praying for at that particular time, I was thinking about it. Um, I was praying that God would keep her from getting off the rails and heading in a wrong direction, which we all pray for our kids, should do. And as I prayed for her, I thought, the Lord spoke to me and said, well, maybe I should pray for others in the church fellowship who have sons or daughters who are uh, potentially could get off the rails. And so I chose especially one girl uh, that was a friend of uh, that daughter of ours and prayed specifically for her for years. And you know what? God has worked and is still working in that girl's life. We're to pray for one another. Okay, and the third thing we learn from this prayer, that we're to pray in the light of, yeah, the wonderful truth of relationship with the Father, of the wonderful truth of fellowship with one another, but also the wonderful truth of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Lordship. And that's why he says, our Father in heaven. We're not praying to some deity that, that hasn't got any authority or power to do anything. He is God in heaven, the almighty God. So our confidence in prayer, first of all, um, God's throne is in heaven. He has all glory and power and authority. It says in chapter 5, verse 34, do not take an oath either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or the throne of God, and, or by earth and so on. He goes on. Jesus goes on there. But he, he identifies God's throne when he talks about heaven. Our Father on the throne of heaven, you could say, is what he's asking us to pray. So that helps us as we set our minds to prayer that we are to pray to our Father, but he's also our Father in heaven. And we'll see next week, hallowed be thy name. We pray with the belief that he has the resources. He has the power. He can see past, present and future. We can trust him. He's on the throne. Just as well I'm not on the throne. 
I have ideas about what would be good. And then looking back in retrospect, you think, well, just as well God didn't answer that prayer. I remember when we, I don't know whether we got time for the story, but oh, too bad, here it is. Um, just thought of it. Um, when we were wanting to move into full-time Christian work as an evangelist, and uh, the door didn't open for a number of years, and, and during that period I was looking at different options, and one was to start, there was a, um, a person who owned a big property in near Auckland, and it was uh, ideal to set up a camp, and thought we'd set up a marriage enrichment camp so that couples could come there. And I was really passionate about this. Mark didn't really think it was the right thing. And, and so often I've found that when God leads us, he leads her and me and not just one of us. Um, and anyway, uh, and it didn't work and it wouldn't have worked out. That wasn't really my... My passion was evangelism. And so finally God opened up the... Finally, at the right time, God opened up the door for us to move into full-time evangelism, which we did for quite a number of years. So God answers our prayers knowing the end from the beginning, knowing what is best for us. And we can come to him with confidence in prayer. Um, as I sometimes uh, used to, when I didn't have a GPS, be driving uh, home from work back again in Auckland. And I remember this very clearly that as I was driving home, the traffic was terrible. And I would think, I wonder if I went that way, whether it would be better. And, um, and so, I, you know, then I thought, well, you know, isn't it, wouldn't it be good to have a, be in a helicopter or have a, what we would now say, a drone and, and uh, be able to see which roads are the best ones to take or have a GPS that shows the red area that you uh, try to avoid. And so, so, but it didn't have that back then. And I thought, well, that's the way God sees things. He sees things from up there. He knows everything. And so as we travel through life, he knows the best way for us to go. Amen? God's perspective. We often attribute our limitations to God, don't we? Uh, we feel limited that oh, that can't happen or that can't happen. And, and we therefore pray, forgetting that he's on the throne, our Father in heaven. And finally, our contentment in prayer. And I mean by contentment that we're willing to leave it with him. He doesn't always give us what we ask for. There's no absolute promises that you're going to have good health, that you're going to have good grades in the schooling, that you're going to be successful in your business. There's no absolute promises. We must ask in the light of God's sovereignty, his overall ruling and control of this whole universe and of our lives. There's good reasons why he doesn't answer prayer. Some people think that well, there's not enough, you don't have enough faith. If you just have enough faith and belief, then God will hear and answer your prayer. But Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, you don't need much faith. It's not the faith that's important. It's the object of that faith. A little tiny bit of faith in Christ, in God the Father, is a world of difference from a whole lot of faith in my, oh, God told me to do that, idea. You know what I'm saying? And I, I, it really is important that we understand this because we sometimes think God's wanting us to do something and we haven't really 
laid it before God, and then when we lay it before God, we expect him to do what we want. We put ourselves on the throne, not him. He's on the throne in heaven. We pray to the Father, our Father in heaven. He's on the throne. Let us come to him in prayer, always remembering that. Prayers, um, he doesn't answer prayers because sometimes, because prayers uh, sometimes are against his will. That We pray that God will protect us while we're driving and yet we break the speed limit and go around a corner and cut the corner. Well, you know. <laughs> or God doesn't answer our prayer because um, we don't know what is truly good for us. We think we do, but we don't. Paul prayed that his thorn in the flesh would be removed and, and God said, no, I'm leaving it because I've got a, a plan that through that thorn in the flesh, you're going to actually be dependent on me and that in your weakness, I will show my power. In your weakness, not in your strength and ability. And lastly, we, God doesn't answer our prayers because we don't know what is truly good for others. We don't know what's truly good for this church. We think we do. We all have our ideas about this church. If only we did this, if only we did that. And our prayers are sometimes conditioned by our thinking about what would be best instead of coming on Tuesday or joining us online or in your own private prayer life to pray for this church that God would lead the elders and that we'll submit to them and, and accept their authority and the leadership within the church that God has appointed and move with them and that the whole church will accept that whatever is happening and leave God to work things out instead of us trying to manipulate and make it come the way I would like to see this church. It's so important that we understand that we are not on the throne. He is our Father in heaven. And I want to finish with this. Contentment is not saying, que sera, sera. What will be, will be. It's saying, I trust you, God. And we'll still move ahead and, and, and I would still have my input in the meetings or the the discussion with the leaders or whatever it might be, but I'm going to submit to you and say, Lord, you're the Lord of this church. And uh, prayer is fundamental to the critical and critical to the growth of this church and the future of this church. Critical. Yeah, the greatest need in this church is unity, vision, impact in the area, the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? But none of those without prayer. So the priority above unity, vision, impact, and the Spirit's power, above that is prayer. Without that, church will die. When we pray, things happen. When we don't, they don't. Prayer creates the space where God can work. He's chosen it that way. Let's pray.
Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you that you are our Father in heaven. May that condition and guide our prayer life as we go from here. And may we be people and a church that prays, that seeks you, that reaches out to you, that trusts you, and that moves forward based on a reliance upon you in prayer and a worship of who you are, our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.